Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. How y'all feeling? That's what I'm talking about. We get to open God's Word. We get to worship. Amazing worship. Thank you, team, for leading us. Give them a hand. Thank you so much for leading us well into the presence of the Lord. So amazing. I'm so thankful for the talented people that are part of our community that serve us so, so well. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. Uh, and we're going to be continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And um, it is, we're going to be looking at one verse. But fear not, you will not get out early because uh, there is stuff for us that's deep unlocked in this area. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Let me read it for us. It says this. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. One more time for emphasis. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would make us to be people, men and women, who look out to the needs of others more than our own. That we would be people that radically love. That we would not look into the world and ask the question, what can the world do for me? But we would look into the world and we would ask the question, how can I serve the needs of others? And Lord, there's so much within me and so much within us that, that fights against that, that doesn't do that. And so Lord, I pray that you would renew our hearts, renew our minds by the power of your spirit so that we might love this world the way you want it to be loved. And so Lord, we're asking for a miracle. We're asking for life change, and we pray that you would do that this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, years ago, in 2012, uh, I watched a movie uh, called The Avengers. Seen it, fans? Okay. The Avengers is a superhero film, okay? And, and what happens, what's interesting, at the very beginning of the movie is that these superheroes are, are fighting against this enemy. But the enemy takes this tesseract thing and, and takes it away. And so the, the guys are all arguing amongst one another, like, whose fault is it? And, and what ends up happening early on in this movie is that you have an individual fight between two superheroes, right? You have Thor beating up Iron Man, and Iron Man trying to beat up Thor right at the very beginning of the movie. And at one level, as a moviegoer, you're like, yes, this is what I want to see. Like, who is the strongest good guy? But at another level, as you're watching this play out, you're say, saying to yourself, okay, this shouldn't be. Like, if you have all of that power, if you have all of that ability, and you're using all of that strength to beat up another good guy, you, if you're rational, you'd be like, this just seems like a complete waste of time. And what this points out, what this highlights is this, that relationships are very difficult. Having meaningful relationships where we genuinely love, for, love one another and genuinely help one another is actually extremely difficult. And we're looking this morning at the golden rule. And uh, just a little trivia for you. Uh, it was actually named by um, the imp a Roman emperor named Alexander Severus in 22, around 22 AD, um, who saw this rule, this gold, this rule, and said, that is so powerful, it should be inscribed on the interior of, of my mansion, or my, my, my place where I live. And so he inscribed it on gold inside, and it was called the golden rule. And, and, and he, he says, okay, this is powerful, that we would look at the others and, and would help them. And 
But if you're honest with yourself, this becomes very, very difficult. And if you were to ask yourself the question, what is the Bible for? Like, what is the purpose of the written word? When I was growing up, I thought it was primarily about uh, don'ts. Like, don't do this. Don't, don't hurt people, don't say bad things, and, and be generally a good person. It was generally a list of don'ts. And what I missed is that the essence of the Christian life, the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is about relationship. It's relationship with God and relationship with one another. And, and this entire Sermon on the Mount is focused on how to build meaningful relationships. In fact, John Stott, writing of this text, uh, says this, the connecting thread which runs through the entire chapter 7 is that of relationships. For the, for the Christian counterculture is not an individualistic endeavor, but a community affair. And relations, both within the community and between the community and others, are of supreme importance. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all of them? What should we most be focused on? He says this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law on the prophets. So the essence of the Christian life is about a radical, life-changing love. But the problem, the problem is this, is that often is not what's lived out in our lives. And so what Jesus does in this section is I want you to, is to change our focus. And in order to change our focus, I kind of get us a running start into the type of life Jesus is asking us to live. And so to do that, I'm going to lead us through four kind of steps. The first one is this, to understand the nature of God. Secondly, to overcome our wishful thinking. Thirdly, to engage in active living. And lastly, to see beyond ourselves. So the first part of this is this, to understand the nature of God. And, and Jesus doesn't address it directly, but he implies it in this section. And, and it's this, that there's a nature of God, an understanding of who God is and what he's like, that we have to understand before we think about how it is that we live. And so in the, in the book, The Reason for God by Tim Keller, there's a chapter in, in the book called The Dance of God, where he talks about the Trinity. See, God eternally existed as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's extremely important to understand. Because if God was mono, like unipersonal, and he didn't have an other, power would be primary, but not love. Because love requires an object. Love requires the ability to love something else. So if he was a, a unipersonal or, or mono God, love would not exist, but power would. But what we have here in the Trinity is a community of relationships. He writes it this way, ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. That is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. When Jesus said you must lose yourself in the service to find yourself, he was recounting what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing throughout all of eternity. So what does it mean then when you say that there's a Father, Son, and Spirit and that they glorify or, or love one another? What he's saying is this, that the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutual self-giving love. We delight and serve someone else when we enter into a dynamic orbit around him or her. We center, we center on the interests and desires of others and that creates a dance 
And so you think about it. The Trinity, from eternity past, was this mutual love and self-giving. And you see that in the way the Trinity talks about itself. When, when Jesus is going to leave and he's going to, to die and, and ascend to heaven, he says, it's going to be better that I go. Why? Because the Spirit's going to come. He, he defers to the Spirit. And then the Spirit, what does the Spirit say? He focuses on Jesus. And, and what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. And what does the Father say of the Son? He says, he says, behold, my beloved son, listen to him. Every person of the Trinity is in this mutual loving dance, deferring, honoring, caring for one another. It's this beautiful dance at the, at the foundation of all of creation. And then, and then they make things. So from this loving community spills forth creation. Why are we all here? Creation was about the extending of the love of God to be enjoyed by everyone else. Why are we here? It was an extension of the love of God. God didn't need someone to love. It was an overflow of his love that made all of us. And so we are meant to be in relationship with God and an extension in relationship with one another. And that is at the heart of what God did in creation. That is at the heart of who God is. This loving, dynamic relationship. And when you understand the character of God, you understand why Jesus says what he does in this section. Because he says, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so he addresses, uh, kind of subtly, a problem. He says the problem is this, that many of us have wishful thinking when it comes to our relationships. Another way to describe it with this, we have a passive living experience. We're not actively engaged, but we're passive. He says the word, whatever you wish others would do. And that word wish is translated a couple different ways depending on your translation. It could be whatever you want or whatever you desire. The actual Greek word um, means what you wish for, desire. It's that deep emotion within you, whatever your passion is, whatever you want others to do for you. And many of us live in this place where we live in the place where we wish others would do something different for us. So we wish someone would speak to us differently. We wish someone would provide a better opportunity for us. Or we wish that someone would initiate with us. And so we live in this place of, of wishing that someone else would do something for us. There was a book that came out several years ago, and it's called The Five Love Languages. Um, familiar with it? You can still get it at Hobby Lobby today. I saw it the other day. And the five love languages are this. Words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, or physical touch. And the purpose of the book um, is to have ammo for how you can tell other people how to love you, right? Like, here's, here's the five love languages. Here you go. <laughs> and, and the, but, but honestly, that's how we treat it. And as I've talked with people, I've asked even my wife, hey, um, of these, of these five, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch, uh, which is your love language? And, and she would say, all of them. Like, all of them, all the time. That would be great. Affirm me. Give me quality time, receive, give me gifts. That would all be great. And the truth is this, we all want all of them. But oftentimes we use them as ammo to tell someone else what they should do for us. So when, I, when, you, when we live in a place of wishful thinking, what ends up happening is that we become disappointed 
because we have unmet expectations. And the expectation is that someone else will do this for me. So think about it in your marriage. Who, raise your hand if you're married in the room. Congratulations, you did it, own it. Yes, congratulations married people. Marriage is the place of unmet expectations. Um, I have a great marriage. I love my wife, we absolutely, I love her. I have an amazing marriage. But it is the place of unmet expectations. Okay, nervous laughter is uh, totally appropriate in that moment. I'm like, haha, I, Kevin, I would never say that. But it's true. And we say stuff like this. I wish my spouse would, do, would plan more dates. I wish they would engage in this romantically. I wish they would engage in this spiritually. I wish they would just like clean the house. You know, whatever the thing is for you. But you're like, I wish they would do something different. Or we do it in our friendships. Like, I wish they would text more. I wish they would do something else more. I wish they would do this more. Like, we say, in my friendships, if they really valued me, they would do more for me. Or we do this in our work relationships. I wish my coworker would do this. I wish this person would, would, would be more thoughtful in how they interact in their work environment. Or we do this with our, our parents or our siblings. Like, if my parents really loved me, they would do these things. Or if my, my siblings really wanted a relationship, they would do these things. And what we do is we put on them the expectation that wouldn't you do something better for me? We're living in a place of wishful thinking. And wishful thinking leads us in the place where we put the burden of relationship on someone else. If we're living wishfully, the burden of relationship is always on them. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. And that's the opposite of the Trinity. That's the opposite of who God is. He is in a place of radical self-giving, radical extension of love. And that's the opposite of the life that Jesus lived. At one moment in Jesus' life, um, he's working his way to the cross. And there comes a moment where uh, a mom and her two boys walk up to Jesus. And mom asks this question. Hey, Jesus, can my boy sit at your right and left hand when you're ruling everything? And James and John are her, her little boys. And, and, uh, and Jesus is like, thanks mom uh, for that. And, and she, he addresses the boys. He goes, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Talking about the suffering that he's going to do. And they're like, oh yeah, we got it, we got it. And then the rest of the disciples are upset because they didn't ask first. They're like, hey, we wanted to rule in that place. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 22, verse 25. He said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived a life of radical self-giving. John Bunyan said this, You have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. The essence of the Christian life is not one where I'm wishing that someone would do something else for me. It's one where we extend a radical love to others. So he goes on to say, not whether you, whatever you wish someone would do for you, do also for them. And he focuses on that word. I'm focusing on that word, do, do to them. So I wish someone would do this for me, but, but I'm gonna turn it on its head. I, then do that thing you wish for them, that you actively engage in the love of others. That word do could mean to make or to do. 
And what's interesting about that phrase, do unto others, is, is throughout history, there's been some, some nuances or some uh, reframings of, of that type of idea. In fact, Confucius uh, writes this. He has a similar phrase. Do not do to others what you wish not done to yourself. So it's do not do bad things to other people. The Stoics had almost an identical uh, phrasing. In the Old Testament Apocrypha, it said, do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. And then the Rabbi Hillel says it this way, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. And so it's almost the same thing. It's like, don't do bad things to other people that you wouldn't want done to you. Even in the medical community, they have a similar phrasing, and it's, it's this, um, first, do no harm. But that's not really the essence of what Jesus is getting at. It's not that we just refrain from bad things. It's positively, do the right thing. Do for others what you wish they would do for you. And it, it, it's powerful when you actually see it the way that he is explaining it. And it's, it's extremely difficult. He says, I want you to do unto others what you wish they were due to you. Now, here's the challenge with this. The first is this, um, I must know what I want. So that's probably gonna take some time. What would I want from someone else? Secondly, um, it assumes I know how to provide that for someone else, which is a step. And the third piece is this, it assumes that what I want for me is what God wants for me. And it assumes that what I want for me is also what God wants for them. But Jesus is saying, I want you to think about it. I want you to actually dig in and say, what would radical love look like in this context? If I was to paint a picture of what it would be to be appreciated or affirmed or valued, what would that look like? And for most of us, let's just be honest, um, We've grown up in environments where this wasn't demonstrated well to us. Where a radical self-giving wasn't our experience growing up. For some of you, it, it was. And so you got a great picture for that. For others of us, we never really lived that way. And so to, to paint a picture of what it would look like to be a radically loved is, is really hard. Right? I don't even know what that would look like. And for some of us, we need to be shocked awake. This happened for me. Um, years ago when I was doing college ministry, um, the, the Passion Conference was doing an event, and Passion is an amazing organization. They have um, some amazing leadership, and they do a lot of things really, really well. And, and so what they were doing is they were inviting college leaders to come experience the vision of Passion. And so they, uh, this was well before the event was taking place. And so they kind of sent me an email inviting me to come to this, one of these vision uh, two-day events. And so they sent me, uh, they said, we're gonna pay for your plane flight, and here's a list of, of things we want to know for you, including like, you know, what are your favorite snacks? Um, what's your favorite Starbucks drink? And, and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, this is great. And I'm just like, I'm going to fly in to Atlanta, um, but I don't even know, like, who, where am I going to go from there? What's going to happen? And like, don't worry, someone will be there to greet you. So I get on the plane, fly to Atlanta. I get off the plane and I'm kind of walking out and, and suddenly I see a guy who's got my name on an iPad uh, and so I walk up to him. I'm like, hello, I'm 
Kevin, and, uh, and, and so are you, are you with passion? And he said, yes. And not only did he have my name, he had the bios of every person that was coming. They face-stalked me. So they got like all of my information from Facebook and other places, and they put together these bios. And I came to find out later on, they memorized the bio, bios of every person coming. They knew everything about me. And so he welcomed me. He said, wait for a few minutes. We're going to pick someone else up, and then we're going to go to the hotel. And so they, they bring me to their car, which is like a black SUV, which is like way too nice for me. And in there, there's uh, these water bottles and snacks for me as I sit down. I'm like, what is going on? And they bring me to this hotel, which is way too nice. And um, they're like, hey, go up to your room and uh, be back in an hour and we'll take you on to the next thing. I'm like, okay, this sounds great. So I go up to my hotel room and I walk into my hotel room and there's a box there with a Louis Giglio book, a passion DVD, snacks, a handwritten welcome card, and, and waters there, like on the bed. I'm like, what? And if you were to ask me, how should passion show their appreciation for me? I would have never come up with any of that. I wouldn't have. But they, they thought through these details, and really that was just the start of it. They then picked me up and brought me to, to their, um, their passion uh, uh, the, the main church area. We went to like where their green room is um, and they gave me the most amazing gift. Time. All their staff was there just to talk. Their questions were about me, what I was doing, my ministry. I have like all these questions for you. I'm like, stop. I want to ask you about you and you're just asking all these questions about me. And then Louis came out and he gave us kind of a vision for what they would want passion to be about. And, and then, he had, then one of the guys that was on staff he went through and introduced all of us by name and bio to everyone else. He was on staff at Passion. He walked in and said, this is this who this is. This is what they do. And walked into name by name, every single person. And I was like, that's amazing. That's how you make someone feel special. That's how you make someone feel loved. And when I came back, I was like, we've got to change everything. <laughs> like, like this, and it wasn't just the money. It was the time that they would commit to love us well. You know what love requires? Intentional time. And you know the biggest barrier to that? Me. What stops me from actively loving the other is because there's a self-problem. I stop me from doing those things. He says, whatever you wish others would do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Why do we not pursue the highest in helping others? It's me. I don't do that naturally. And, and the reason is this, is because we don't first see Jesus correctly. See, this is what Jesus did. Like, he gave lavishly. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, but he gave and gave and gave. He gave lavishly. And, and there's a, also a second miss within this. We don't see the law correctly. He says this, if we live this way, that's a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And, and for most of us, when we look at the law and the prophets, we're, we're looking at the list of don'ts. But, but the intent of the law, what Jesus came was to fulfill the law, meaning describe what it was literally meant to do. 
This is how you love your neighbor's wife. This is how you love your neighbor. This is how you care for one another. So much of the Bible is written about interpersonal relationships and how to love one another well. In fact, if you were to go read the Old Testament law and actually look at it, so much of it has to do with how to care for one another well. There's one moment in the book of Deuteronomy where it's like, it's the donkey illustration. It's like the donkey story. I'm like, what, what about the, what's with the donkeys? Deuteronomy 22 says this, you shall, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know where he is, you shall bring it into your home, into your house, and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. And you shall restore it to him. Like, what's up with the donkeys? Like, is it, what's, what kind of cruel thing is God doing? He's making you care for one another, right? He's like, if, if you see your, your neighbor's dog running away, don't be like, stinks to be you. Like, go help get the dog, Right? It's so simple that we would genuinely reach beyond ourselves. So much of the Old Testament law is about how we love and care for one another well. But there's a brokenness within us. There's a brokenness that causes us not to see beyond ourselves. And there's really two reasons for that. One is sin within. And secondly, it's sin against us. See, the first reason we really don't live beyond ourselves is really the issue that the law is addressing. There is sin in me that I want what's good for me. I really don't care what's good for you. And that's sinful within me. And that has to change. There's a sinfulness in me that's got to be addressed. But secondly, there's also sin we've experienced. There's sin that we've experienced from others. And so sometimes we don't extend out in love because we're like, Kevin, you don't know how I've been burned. I've been hurt. I've got all of these issues, especially with Christians that I've dealt with. And I I don't know that I want to extend that way. And so there's sin that we feel and there's sin that's been committed against us. And Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, not only in explaining its intent, but paying its price. See, Jesus died in our place for our sins. He took the punishment we deserve for our sins. And not only that, he took the punishment that that perpetrator deserved as well. So he not only does he pay for our sins, he pays for the sins that have committed against you and purchases the ability to forgive. He purchases the ability to walk healed. Hurt people hurt people. And Jesus Christ comes and can bind up the brokenhearted. He can fix us as we come to him. So for some of us, before we say, how do I care and love for other people? Well, the first simple step is this. Have you come and received the lavish love of Jesus Christ? He has come to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal us. Secondly, to empower us to live a new life. See, for others of us, no, we've received the love of Jesus Christ. But we don't extend the love of Jesus Christ. Or not as well as we could. Uh, several uh, years ago, I, I received a book. And I thought it was so, so helpful to think about how is it that I want to live my life differently in my community? How is it that I want to be someone that doesn't just receive the love of Jesus but extends the love of Jesus. And the issue that this woman addressed in her book, The Turquoise Table, 
is the same issue I think a lot of us address. And it's busyness. Socrates writes, beware the barrenness of a busy life. So this woman was extremely busy. She had four young kids, had a full life, lots of things going on. And she was like, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even enjoy it. <laughs> I don't even enjoy the busyness I'm in. And I have no time for anyone else. And so she was throwing an event at her, at her house. And so they had uh, bought some picnic tables to be as part of that event. And so she ended up taking one of those picnic tables and putting it in her front yard. That became, they painted it, it was called the turquoise table. And what she wanted to do was to create a space for conversations. And so each day, she would sit down, maybe like a light snack or something like that, and have conversations with people in the community. She would create a space to intentionally invest in the lives of others. And it was so simple. Francis Schaeffer, um, in the 60s, he moved to Switzerland. And he wrote in his book a great statement. What he started doing was just opening up his home for other people to come by and have spiritual conversations with them. And he issued this challenge. Don't start with a big program. Start personally and start in your home. I dare you. I dare you in the name of Jesus Christ. Begin by opening your home for community. All you have to do is open your home and begin. And I know as I say that, immediately y'all are saying to yourself, Kevin, are you completely unaware of the pandemic that all of us are in right now? Open my home like everyone in the world is telling me, no, get them out of your home. And I agree, I'm not saying you need to have people physically in your home, but maybe it's just open your heart. Maybe we begin by praying that God would open our hearts and that that could be the start of an open home. So um, earlier this week, uh, we, we pray for, for our community um, every Thursday from 10 to 11. And, and Alan had this idea. He was just like, I, I feel like we need to do something a little bit different this particular week. And I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And, uh, and so we decided to go prayer walking in the community. And so we started at the depot in kind of downtown Tomball and started by praying over the community in that area, praying for the churches, but also praying for the businesses and praying for the people that were kind of walking by. And then Billy is amazing. Um, Billy knows all things Tomball and community. And he says, do you know that there are 300 new homes being built in this area, like within the city limits of Tomball? And I said, no. Um, Alec, where are those? And he's like, let's go drive over there. And so we drove over to that part of town and we get out and we start walking around um, praying for that community. And there's some homes that are moved in, but some that are new builds. And so we're walking and as Billy, we all kind of spread out. And so as, as Billy's walking, he sees someone that's kind of like construction looking guy. And uh, he kind of asks, hey, what are, what are y'all doing here? And he said, oh, we're just praying for the community and the people that will be moving in here. And he goes, you know, I'm the, um, I'm the developer here. And Billy's like, no, do you need to be prayed for? Like, what, what, what can I pray for you uh, for? And he's like, sanity. I mean, <laughs> he's like, I was just praying the other day, like, God, just help. And, and, and he was taken aback by the fact that Christians would go to a place and just pray for it. Why is that so weird? Because it's so rare. 
And so in my own, my own neighborhood, um, there's a, a couple that's going to be moving. And so that I saw the moving van come and, and it's going to be driving off. And so um, I'm like, someone else is going to be moving in. What can I do to love them? Is there a gift I can give them? Something simple, something like COVID-free, like a little cake or something? Like, is there something that I can do to, to welcome them to the community well and, and be the first responder with the love of Christ? The answer is yes. But it requires us to get outside of ourselves and to say not what is something, a way that someone could love me. How is it that I could love them? So what do we do? What's practical? My encouragement to you is to make a list of everything that someone could radically love you doing. Like, just make it extreme. Like, like think about the bachelor and the absurdity of flying off the middle. Like, like, make it extreme. Like, say, I would love people to love me this way, to buy me these gifts, to write me these notes, to send me these flowers. Make it long. Make it extravagant. How is it that you would want to be loved? And then start praying about who you could start doing that with in your community. And you can start small. Is there a neighbor that you could write a note of encouragement to? Say, hey, I just appreciate you, da da da, appreciate our friendship, and you can just send them a note. Is it a simple prepackaged little cupcake thing that you could buy for them and give to them? What is simple that you can do? And for those of you that are married, what is lavish that you could do? For those of you with deep friendships or friendships you're wanting to form, what could you do as a really, really great friend to those friends? We're entering the season of thanksgiving. Maybe we really start giving that thanks intentionally in the lives of people. And let me tell you what, if we do that, I, I want Bayou City Fellowship, and I, I, I try to do this every week, I want us to be known not of people that have received the love of Jesus, but a community of people that extend the love of Jesus. Amen? And I think, especially in this season, that's exactly what our community needs. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. That it is simple and clear, yet profound and difficult. And Lord, if we're honest, um, there are so many things that we wish people would do for us. And if I'm honest, I rarely think deeply about how to extend that love to others. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be a better dad, a better husband, and a better friend. Help us to love our community well like you have loved us. Lord, I pray that as we receive your grace, it wouldn't stay here. We would extend it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.